Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports for the duration of the show. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to cover tonight. Now, I know people are wondering, you know, last week I said that uh, there wasn't going to be a podcast tonight due to Thanksgiving week, but kind of a change of plan because... Turns out, uh, company ended up leaving a lot, uh, a lot sooner than I thought. So uh, here we are. We have quite a bit to get to. Uh, of course, uh, Survivor Series War Games is currently taking place right now uh, on Peacock for the WWE Network, uh, where we started off with an absolute banger of a match, uh, the women's war games match, which saw the team of Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Shotzi, and Becky Lynch defeat Damage Control, which consisted of Bailey, Asuka, Io Sky, and Kyrie Sane, within a good 33 and a half minute match. It, it was, uh, you want to, normally when you think of like Helena Cell, or cage matches, or elimination chamber, or even war games. You think of you think of spots of what sort of spots are you going to basically witness during the, during these type of matches? And I'll tell you one thing: uh, between jumping off the top of the cage uh, with a trash can covering your entire upper body. Uh, also, not to mention another uh, wrestler doing a backflip off of the top of the cage. I mean, there was there was plenty of spots in this opening matchup, which of course is taking place at the United Center. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, not the United Center, the Allstate Arena in uh, in Chicago, and. Man, it's uh, so far uh, they have definitely delivered uh, in tonight's War Games uh, pay-per-view so far. Uh, currently, we have Gunther defending his record-breaking Intercontinental Championship against The Miz. No and we also have three other matches set to take place. Uh, later on tonight with Rhea Ripley defending her Women's World Championship against Zoe Stark. Uh, we also have Dragon Lee taking on Santos Escobar. Uh, Dragon Lee filling in for Carlito after Carlito Kayfabe suffered a injury last night following an attack by Santos Escobar. And we also have the men's war games match which is set to take place later on tonight uh featuring cody rhodes seth freaking rollins jay uso Sami Zayn, and the returning randy orton or so we think 
taking on the team of the Judgment Day, which consists of Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Dirty Dominic Mysterio, and J.D. McDonough, as well as Drew McIntyre. And I got to tell you, uh, if there's any, if, if the men have any hope whatsoever of of winning match of the night, they're gonna have to. They're gonna they're gonna really have to have to step things up because the women flat out delivered in that opening match and you know I I I I know I know how they say that you know pay per views you usually save your best performances for the pay per views and so far between WWE and AEW we've been seeing that. Uh, However, you know, with Survivor Series, it's a little bit different because usually, you know, Survivor Series is considered to be one of the top four pay-per-views in the WWE every single year. So usually you kind of expect more out of these type of shows. And I got to tell you, you know, Survivor Series, there's only five matches this year. And it seems pretty low for a Survivor Series. I mean... We have the two War Games matches. We also have the Intercontinental Championship being defended. We have the Women's World Championship being defended and also a grudge match. And quite frankly, you know, I just don't – I don't really – I guess I'm not all that hyped up for it, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, usually you see a lot more a lot more matches on a pay-per-view card, especially uh, one of the uh, one of the top four pay-per-views every year in the WWE. But obviously, of course, you know, this is very early on in the night. Uh, There's also, not to mention, there's a big shadow looming uh, over the pay-per-view because there is, of course, will he or won't he show up? And by who, you know, anybody, anybody who knows professional wrestling and knows the city of Chicago. Uh, Everybody knows I'm talking, of course, about CM Punk. CM Punk, who uh, has been around the wrestling industry since uh, since, uh, 1999, and he's bounced from promotion to promotion. He was once with the WWE. He had a falling out with the WWE. Then he went to AEW, had a falling out with AEW after – uh, I, I, I should add that he spent quite a bit of time outside of the wrestling industry after leaving WWE, then ended up going to AEW for about parts of two years or so from 2021 to 2023, uh, had a world title, uh, a world title reign, two world title reigns actually, uh, with how short they may have potentially been. 
but his AEW career was pretty much filled with injury for the most part. So there's, of course, there's, of course, you know, that lingering question over whether or not it's actually going to happen uh, with him potentially returning. There's been a whole bunch of, there's been a whole bunch of teases, whether or not they're actual, whether or not they were meant to be teases or not. Uh, or maybe fans are just thinking too much into it. Uh, of course, the the big thing is that it's definitely a topic that people that has really gotten people riled up. Now, uh, we'll take a short break here. I got to uh, I got to reset something, so I will be back in just a minute. back and what I was saying specifically about CM Punk was it's definitely a little bit of a polarizing topic so to speak because there's the possibility of will he or won't he show up and if anything it could be it could be good or bad news depending on how you look at it in my opinion it's more likely than not bad news when you consider how he ended up leaving AEW to begin with, how he basically, um, you know, he had a run-in essentially with uh, with management 
and not just, not just management, but he, he caused a whole bunch of problems uh, backstage, apparently. Uh, there was a scuffle that he had gotten in with uh, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, as well as a couple of other uh, a couple of other things. Apparently, uh, there was some sort of rumor that he had tried to get uh, his former best friend Colt Cabana fired from the company as well. Um, he also accused uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks of spreading rumors about him and Cole Cabana and leaking them to the wrestling media. Uh, and also, apparently, he said that uh, Hangman Adam Page had supposedly went off script prior to one of their matches that they had uh, in the company. And basically, it was it was a complete mess. And he ended up co- coming back to the company. And then at All In, basically, that's when the last straw had happened, where after he successfully defended his quote-unquote real-world championship against Samoa Joe, uh, he had been involved in some sort of backstage altercation uh, with Jungle Boy Jack Perry uh, regarding comments that Perry had made during his match earlier in the show, which was uh, a, a reference to CM Punk denying Perry the opportunity to use real glass during uh, his segments on AEW Collision. And after AEW did an investigation, into the altercation. Uh, Punk was then terminated for just cause from his contract back on September 2nd under the unanimous recommendation of the AEW Discipline Committee as well as outside legal counsel for not just Tony Khan but also uh, AEW itself. And Tony even said live on AEW Collision that uh, the incident was regrettable and it endangered people backstage. And he also said, never in all this time have I ever felt until last Sunday that my security, my safety, my life was in danger at a wrestling show. I don't think anyone should feel that way at work. I don't think the people I work with should feel that way. And I had to make a very difficult choice today, which, of course, uh, he ended up firing CM Punk. And ever since then, everybody was looking at Survivor Series uh, on the WWE calendar, being from Chicago. And obviously, all the speculation had started because uh, during his time with AEW, CM Punk had supposedly made a visit to uh, a WWE event uh, looking to talk with Triple H, who at the time, and technically he still is, in charge of creative and everything right now uh, in WWE, now that Vince McMahon has basically been, you know, put off to the side with uh, the TKO TakeOver group uh, officially merging the UFC and WWE. So now you have 
all these rumors about whether or not CM Punk is going to show up. And in my opinion, I think it would be bad for the WWE. Number one, he already left WWE on bad terms as it is, uh, getting in a or getting in a lawsuit uh, against their medical doctor at the time. I don't know if he still if he still is employed by the WWE or not, but uh, Punk was getting prepared to go to court over um, being mistreated by their medical staff due to an injury that he had suffered at the Royal Rumble, where I think it was like a staph infection or something that he suffered. I, I completely forget the uh, the exact injury. Uh, but basically, there was a whole lot of turmoil when when Punk had left the company originally. And he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, as he left. And there's been reports that apparently most of the locker room does not want to see him back with the company. So in my opinion, you know, it's just WWE, while, yeah, he, while he will draw money for the WWE, it's a bad decision on their part, in my opinion, if they do decide to bring him back. I mean, I know, I know the, I know the hatchet can be buried and whatnot. We've seen it happen before. Goldberg, he left on bad terms uh, after his initial run in 2004. He ended up coming back. Uh, granted, it was about 12 years later, but he still ended up coming back. Um, you know, they buried the hatchet with the Ultimate Warrior shortly before his passing. So we've seen the hatchet get buried before, but it, it just seems that the the older punk has gotten the the more toxic he's become so to speak it's like everywhere he goes uh that company loses some sort of you know some sort of momentum with the only exception being the UFC because when he went to the UFC the UFC gave him a multi-fight contract um Basically, it was he, you know, he trained in the UFC under Duke Rufus, and he fought twice for the UFC, losing both fights. Uh, although one of them was turned to a uh, to a no contest after his opponent tested positive for marijuana. But uh, still, though, it, you know, it. it UFC didn't really didn't really suffer much from having him fight under their under their uh, banner because it basically showed that hey you know prof- uh, just because this guy was an as an accomplished professional wrestler uh, fighting is different from professional wrestling so you know just the fact that you saw what Punk did right before he left the first time with the WWE. Now you saw what he did in, a, in AEW to end his time in AEW, and now fans want him back in the WWE. It just seems, I mean, yeah, he's going to draw money, but to me, it just seems like a recipe for disaster, for disaster essentially. So they're essentially, 
they're essentially playing with fire if he comes back. Uh, the only way I could see him maybe potentially work, it, it may be potentially working, is that he mentioned during his time with AEW that he was dealing with amateurs and dealing with kids. And it almost seemed like he felt he, maybe he felt he made a mistake in going to AEW over over working things out with WWE because WWE is more professional. They're more, you know, there's a lot more experience uh, a lot more experienced workers in the WWE, uh, not specifically the wrestlers, but you know the uh, the uh, road agents and whatnot, um, as opposed to what they may be working, what he may have been working with over in AEW. I mean, there's been rumors that apparently uh, AEW wrestlers don't even listen to any of the agents who are trying to, you know, who are there to basically help uh, sculpt the matches and also help uh, provide, uh, you know, years of advice to these wrestlers. So may, maybe perhaps uh, if Punk is coming back to the WWE, maybe things will be different this go around because, he knows he's working with professionals, uh, you know, not people who are going to go into business for themselves. But if I were to put my money on, let's let's just put it this way: I I don't think he's coming back tonight. But with the way WWE has gone about things, I think it's a big mistake the way that they have uh, gone through with this, because you know, there's just you have a crowd like Chicago who can be, they're one of those type of crowds that could turn hostile potentially if you tease something and it ends up not happening. Now, granted, keep in mind, WWE has not teased at all that CM Punk would make an appearance. They have not teased it at all. I mean, maybe they've put in, references like calling the Chicago fans the best in the world and CM Punk's uh, gimmick was being the best in the world. Uh, There was something on SmackDown last night where they referenced one of CM Punk's old uh, ROH promos. I think it was from ROH. It was very early on in his career uh, that they referenced and there you know there's been multiple references that have uh that fans have picked up on that have supposedly been thrown out there by the WWE uh whether it's intentional or not intentional uh you know is is unknown but it, the fact that they have their fans believing that something may potentially happen it's it's a bad look I feel by the WWE because if not if if they go through with tonight's event and Punk doesn't show up, uh, you could have the crowd turn on, turn on the product. And now obviously that won't really matter to WWE because WWE you know they're a global they're a global icon, so. 
you know, they make millions of dollars basically almost every almost every uh every pay per view, every event that they put on. So uh but you know you unless this is WWE's way of blatantly trolling the fans, which they have been known to do in the past, uh I just I wouldn't get my hopes up for a CM Punk return tonight, especially when you take into account that there has been no buildup whatsoever for this. There, you know, no, normally when when somebody's returning, whether it's a surprise return or not, usually there's some sort of storyline sense. Like they fit into some sort of storyline. And with CM Punk, there's he just uh, he doesn't fit right now unless the only the only thing I can think of is maybe he answers a open challenge by Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, but even then you know that just seems like completely out of the blue if anything. So I don't know what they're going to do uh, with this, but. Uh, it should be a very interesting. I know, of course, uh, you know the 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 show will probably be over at around eleven, about an hour and a half from now. So there's still plenty of time for them to maybe, perhaps, do something. Like I said, you know, five matches seems to be pretty pretty for a Survivor Series pay per view. Uh, we did just see uh, Gunther. Uh, retain his Intercontinental Championship over the Miz by submission in a, about a 12-and-a-half-minute match. So that officially means that Gunther will now pass Pedro Morales on the uh, on the official Intercontinental Championship reign uh, record books, even though he is the longest-reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. Uh, but as far as combined reigns go, uh, Gunther will now, uh, by virtue of this win, assuming he doesn't lose the title uh, sometime within the next week, uh, he will officially pass. Oh, it's not Pedro Morales. I'm sorry. It'll be Don Morocco uh, that he will that he will officially pass. He will pass Don Morocco uh, for third all time uh, in total days of holding uh, the Intercontinental Championship which basically the only two that will be ahead of him at that point will be his opponent tonight, The Miz, who he successfully defended his title against, and also Pedro Morales, uh, who currently holds the total record for total amount of days having held the title at 619 days. But with that being said, though, uh, we are going to move into our next topic here. Obviously, of course, if something happens at uh, if something happens at Survivor Series as as it uh, as it happens, I'll be sure to uh, to bring it up. Uh, but we have Alex uh, joining me tonight. How are you doing, Alex? Hey, what's up, Gus? How's it going? Uh, it's going good. I've been well, pretty much talking by myself uh, the first 30 minutes here. Uh, I was basically 
just talking about uh, Survivor Series, which is currently going on right now, and nice. the possibility of CM Punk potentially returning to the company uh, with it being in Chicago. And, you know, any wrestling fan knows that he, he has had quite the tumultuous past uh, with the company, having previously sued their, uh, their medical doctor over an injury that he had suffered at the Royal Rumble before he ended up leaving the company. Uh, and I personally think it's a bad idea for them to re-sign him because if they were to, re- if they were to bring him back, uh, he's basically been a cancer anywhere he goes, essentially, at this point. But I did that maybe perhaps, uh, like he said in AEW, was that he was tired of dealing with children and, uh, you know, tired of dealing with people who won't listen to a single thing that he says. So maybe perhaps being amongst professionals again, uh, that maybe things might be different this go around. But uh, do you know anything, uh, Alex, about uh CM Punk as a wrestler and yeah just that he's his time controversial that... and... yeah he definitely stirs up the drama pot so it's going to be interesting to see how he, uh how how his return unfolds well yeah that's a big question though is that whether he whether or not he will actually return though because uh you know there's been there's been uh, different reports back and forth. You know, some have said that he has met with management. Others have said that he hasn't. Um, he hasn't officially signed, but, uh, you know, with it being in Chicago, his hometown tonight, and also uh, if people take into account, people are taking into account as well uh, the fact that his theme song, Cult of Personality, by uh, Living Color, it just got re-released yesterday uh, in a remastered version, which which features actually a complete a a completely different uh, lyric. Uh, It's like they basically re-recorded it. Uh, They re-recorded the song essentially, Um, and that's led people to to speculate that he will come back to the WWE with that with that version of the song considering the original version is currently owned by AEW his previous company yeah yeah no when they released the, the song like that that definitely hints at the uh, there's a comeback on the way it's a little teaser for the for the people that are following yeah, yeah. Fans. I mean it sort of makes you think like when you, you see all these different uh, like anybody who has followed CM Punk's uh, career, you know, they know about certain promos he's done or certain, you know, certain lines that he has said or whatnot throughout his career and WWE, whether or not it's been intentional or not, uh, they have, they have mentioned a whole bunch of previous uh they've made a whole bunch of references to CM Punk over the last couple of weeks. Uh, even referencing one of the old promos that he did back in ring of honor. Uh, you know, they called the Chicago fans, the best in the world. Uh, 
which uh, his whole gimmick in WWE was was being known as the best in the world. Uh, you know, there's been a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different references being having been thrown out over the last couple of weeks that has made people speculate that he may actually make his return tonight in uh, in Chicago. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if they just re-release that song, there's yeah, great. At least for ratings, they're always clever in uh, the scripts and whatnot and the plans. So, wouldn't shock me at all if he comes back this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it would make it would make sense to me because considering the original version of the song is owned by his former company, All Elite Wrestling. Uh, so obviously WWE wouldn't be able to get the rights to it. But if uh, Living Color re-releases a new version of the song, which they have, uh, you know, then people would be, you know, uh, they'd be able to use that song to bring him back. Although, I mean, they could obviously use uh, This Fire Burns by Killswitch Engage, but uh, that hasn't been used in years, Uh, uh, probably going on 15 years now that he's moved on from that song. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of speculation, uh, which by the way, WWE fans, uh, just an update, uh, Santos Escobar did officially defeat Dragon Lee, uh, that did just take place actually, uh, by pinfall in about an eight and a half minute match. So two more matches to go, uh, on Survivor Series. And like I said, before you joined Alex, uh, Five matches doesn't seem like an awful lot for a show that's supposed to be one of the biggest shows of the year for a wrestling company. Uh, like the big, the big four events that they have, they have the Royal Rumble, they have Survivor Series, they have WrestleMania, and they have SummerSlam. And normally, WWE likes to go all out for those big shows. And it feels kind of weird that a big show is only going to have five matches on it. Yeah, there's so, something in the works that may be behind the scenes and getting ready to come out. That might be, uh, yeah, it, that might be the big surprise. Yeah, there's, uh, that's what's got people wondering too, is that is there, actually something going on because you know there's like i said there's been a whole bunch of mixed signals as well um you know there's been a whole bunch of mixed signals uh not to mention for the war games match that is yet to place uh they announced the return of randy orton uh who is a surefire soon to be wwe hall of famer whenever he retires um, you know, they announce him literally a week before the a week before the event takes place. He hasn't even appeared on WWE television yet since uh, since being announced. And wow. now all of a sudden they're doing this uh, just to add on to the speculation. They're doing this storyline that he hasn't shown up at the arena yet, and. The fans are already chanting CM Punk right now as we speak. So <laughs> he's coming back. Got to be nice tonight. It, it makes you wonder. It, it really makes you wonder because 
If they, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. This will be the biggest con I feel that WWE has made in their history. If they do a bait and switch like this uh, and switch out uh, Randy Orton and put in CM Punk all of a sudden, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, it would just, it, it would be a complete bait and switch. I think CM Punk on the way. What the fans want, and possibly, I think all signs are indicating that he's he's in route. Yeah, I think he's going to be back tonight, hopefully. But let's move on to the NBA because uh, we have quite the story that has developed over the last forty-eight hours, or maybe seventy-two hours, some, or somewhere around there. Uh, the NBA is officially investigating allegations that Oklahoma City Thunder guard Josh Giddy is involved in an, in an inappropriate relationship with a minor. As suggestive, uh, ah, suggestive pictures of Giddy and an allegedly underage girl circulated this week on social media, uh, keep in mind the age of consent in Oklahoma is 16. Uh, but this girl appears to be at least 14 or 15 years old. Uh, they're claiming that she's supposedly a junior in high school, but if you're a junior in high school, you're at least 16 or 17. And, yeah. uh, you know, from all accounts, it sounds like uh, her age has been marked as either 14 or 15, according to social media, at least. Um, but a league spokesman uh, said that they're looking into it uh, yesterday uh, when asked about it. Uh, Josh Giddy. Meanwhile, is still pro is still practicing and playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, throughout all this. Um, uh, he declined to discuss the situation when he was asked multiple times by reporters yesterday. Uh, he ended up saying, "I understand the question, obviously, but there's no further comment right now." Uh, I get the question, guys. I completely understand you want to know about it, but. Just for right now, I don't have anything to say. Uh, and a Thunder spokesman declined to comment, and Coach Mark Daniel uh, called the situation a personal matter, which, uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, you know, Oklahoma City, I feel, has just completely, has completely uh, fumbled this entire situation, uh, you know, if if we could if we could tie this to Major League Baseball, uh, with the ongoing situation going on with Wander Franco, you know when that situation uh, came up, Wander Franco was immediately suspended by the league and immediately suspended by the team. Yet this comes up uh, with Oklahoma City, and Josh Giddy is still playing. Even though there's there's suggestive photos, there's also videos of him apparently talking with the girl's brother, uh, and the girl even posted a photo of her in front of a shirtless Josh Giddy, uh, saying, "And I quote, I just fucked Josh Giddy." Now, obviously, of course, it's very suggestive. You know, there's not really any hard proof 
that this actually happened and there's not even hard proof of what her actual age is. Uh, but needless to say, it caught wildfire uh, over social media as soon as it was posted. Uh, I want to say it was it was late Wednesday night, I think it was posted. But uh, Giddy, throughout all this, though, he's averaged 12.3 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, and 4.5 assists per game this season. But if this happens to be true that, uh, you know, the girl isn't of isn't the age of consent and this is happening, let's keep in mind Josh Giddy is 21. Uh I think I think needless to say, you know, granted uh they've they've compared him to Carl Malone uh when Carl Malone apparently did the same thing back in his playing days, but it was looked upon differently back then compared to how it is now. Uh but what are your thoughts uh Alex on this uh on this situation, this uh ever developing situation with Josh Giddy? Yeah, right now it's doesn't look good, but it's too early for me to speculate. Um, if she said she was a certain age or, you know, if she didn't have proof, I, there's so many different variables. It's just really, it doesn't look good, but they didn't suspend him yet. I don't know if they're being too lax on that, but, yeah, he's, he's going to face the music one way or the other. He's underage, and then if she has to, she has to tell the police that they did, in fact, sleep with each other, then uh, he could be subject to arrest. Yeah, just I just after Wander Franco, we still don't even know the exact answer for that yet. So it's it's so early to speculate. It's yeah, tough to really have any more to think about right now. It doesn't seem good, but it's kind of like the Wander Franco situation. It's not leaning in the right direction, but uh, you know, until it until it comes out, you know, she might have she might have lied about her age. But we still can we could have. I'm not trying to find out about her age. I don't know. It's a slippery slope. Doesn't look good so far. For yeah, I, I mean, it, ha- it hasn't been it hasn't been confirmed exactly what her age is, uh, because supposedly, I guess somebody had looked up who the person is, and supposedly, I guess she was a sophomore last year in high school, so technically, she would be a junior this year which technically would put her at the age of consent around because 16 is the age of consent in Oklahoma. But supposedly she is in California, which the age of consent in California is 18. So I don't know. It's, it's real, it's real confusing right now, but I would almost say yeah, that it's to... maybe a good thing. I, I would almost say it's maybe a good thing, the fact that he's playing, that maybe perhaps there isn't much behind it. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, Oklahoma City, they always have, they've steered clear of any uh, controversy through the years with people. You know, it seems like they're really well, they're well run. So I'd like to hope that they would have done the right thing. If there was overwhelming evidence, he would have been. If he's still playing, I definitely think it's a good thing. Because they could have tried to yeah, get ahead of him and, and pulled him. And the fact that they didn't, that kind of that kind of helped his credibility right now. His chances of it not being a crime 
but it, you know, we still don't know though. But yeah, that's a good thing for him. It, it looks a little better for him right now. Yeah. Now, I mean, it, you if know, was, it's, if he it's was entirely like possible that. I was going to say, if they had him nailed on this, if they were going to be charging him soon, then he'd already be off the court. Because Oklahoma City, obviously, their front office would look really bad if they're, if they're like har- harboring a criminal, criminal employing a, someone who's too clearly broke the law. So right now, it's just, it really is a waiting game. It's the only thing there is, man. Time's going to time's gonna tell, right. actually, what happens. The only remedy is, now, you know, see how it plays out. Now, the, the thing is, though, is that she she is supposedly from Newport Beach, California. Now, it's unknown. You know, maybe, who knows, may, maybe she ended up moving to Oklahoma City, which, you know, I guess it would be a completely different situation if she moved to Oklahoma City because, uh, you know, if she is a junior in high school, then obviously in Oklahoma City, the age she would be the age of consent. So, yeah. in that case, there would be no issues. But, uh, you know, people seem to still think that she is, uh, you know, that, that she's still going to school in Newport Beach, California. So, uh, you know, the one thing that she also... Flies, if, she flies, if she flies to Oklahoma City and it happens there... I don't know how that charge that law works. I think it's where she or where she's from. Otherwise, you'd have right people like politicians doing that a lot more. Unfortunately, you know, you'd have a lot of shady characters uh, flying out someone someone another say, "Oh, well, in this state that we're in tonight and this weekend, it's legal, so we can do it here." Yeah, it's awful to think that way, but there's people who think like that. So, but if it's well, in a state that- where I don't know how that law works. I don't think you can just break the law somewhere else because it's legal there and then claim that you're immune to it. I don't, I don't know. It probably depends where but, it's, I mean, what's happening. It, the thing is, though, is that, you know, how could they be in, an, in a relationship and she's still going to school, she's still going to high school in California and he's playing full-time for Oklahoma City? You know, it that's just crazy. doesn't. They even, even entertain that idea. I know he's only 21, but that's still a statutory. If she's younger than 16, 18 or 16, right? So right. There's not a lot to do in Oklahoma, but I'd like to think a professional basketball player, a good-looking guy, 21 years old, making 20 million a year, could find someone close to his age, where where he is. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, I said, though, you know, we, we, we've seen it happen with Wander Franco, too. And obviously, Wander Franco immediately got suspended as soon as the allegations came up. But I this is what makes me think that maybe perhaps it is a maybe, – maybe it is legal. You know, maybe she is a resident of Oklahoma City now. Uh, and, you know, if she's going to – uh, school in Oklahoma City potentially, you know, obviously that makes it a different a different case considering that the age of consent is 16 in Oklahoma City. Yeah. If she's uh, if she's still going to school in California, she she has to be a resident where she's going to school. So that doesn't sound good for for Josh if she's still in going to school in Cali. Right. 
she's in a public school. She's got to, you got to, I would, I would assume. I don't know which school she's going to. So there's, there's just so many different details that we don't really know all this info on. It's just, it's so hard to speculate. Right. You know, ob- obviously, you know, li- like you said, there's still probably going to be a lot of stuff that will probably be uh, uncovered about this. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I do think that obviously the fact that he's playing still is obviously a good sign because you would think that if if this were if the, if there was legitimacy. Uh, behind this that, you know, he, I mean, technically he is seeing an underage, uh, you know, it is an underage relationship, but that is if it isn't in an area where the, uh, where it's over the age of consent, which if it's in Oklahoma City, it's a completely different thing as opposed to if, if she's still in, in California. Depends on the state where, where she is. Right now, it's, yeah, it's impossible to determine what if it's illegal. I mean, I right, exactly. Yeah, I just don't know. The fact that he's still playing looks makes it look better for him. Right, not a good situation, but it helps his, helps his chances of uh, staying out of this. Right, exactly. Whereas Wander was pulled it away, and now there's a special like task force in the Dominican looking into him. That that sounds like it's really. Not to laugh at a dark matter, but that sounds a lot more troublesome right off the bat. So, as long as he's playing, I think it's it's not good, but it's it's better than Wander's situation, definitely. Yeah. And by the way, an update for WWE fans: uh, Rhea Ripley just successfully defended her Women's World Championship against uh, Zoe Stark, so her reign of terror officially continues. Which means we have one match left, which if if this is the case, this is going to be, unless the match is about an hour long, this is going to be maybe the shortest Survivor Series pay-per-view I've seen in quite some time. Um, wow. But staying in the NBA, though, uh, an update on the regular season standings. Uh, first in the Eastern Conference, we have the Boston Celtics hanging on to the number one spot at 12-4. and four. We have a surprising Orlando Magic team, winners of their last six games, including just recently over the Boston Celtics, uh, sitting in a, t- in a three-way tie for the number two spot at 11-5. and five. Uh, along with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. We have the New York Knicks and Indiana Pacers at 9-6. and six. Then in the, uh, in the uh, play-in tournament, you have the Miami Heat at 10-7, and seven, the Cleveland Cavaliers and Atlanta Hawks at 8-7, and seven, and you have the Toronto Raptors at 8-8. Eight and eight. Meanwhile, on the outside looking in, obviously very early on, but you have uh, the Brooklyn Nets at seven and eight, the Charlotte Hornets at five and nine, the Chicago Bulls, who are who are seemingly going even further downhill, uh, at five and twelve, uh, and awful. then you have the Detroit. 
you have the uh, Detroit Pistons and the Washington Wizards both at two and fourteen, which, my God, you know, it's bad enough that you lose uh, that that you trade away Bradley Beal, but good lord, you know, Washington they they seemingly are. You know they're almost they're practically in no man's land essentially for the rest of uh, you know for 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 the for the long term now. Yeah, and they gave a ton of money to a total head case who doesn't play defense or pass the ball. Who's already he was on the bench during clutch moments the other night, and they they can't stand him already. Jordan Jordan Poole, totally overrated player, selfish player. They gave a ton of money to him, and they already want to get rid of him, apparently. He's just, like, playing, you know, showboat, you know, street ball. They don't even really want him around yet. Yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely, when you look back on this deal, when you look back on this deal, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to bring up the. Uh, by the way, you're back on now. Uh, you got yeah. you got disconnected again. Uh, yeah, but but I'm trying to. It was a little bit erratic. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to bring I'm trying to bring up this uh, trying to bring up this deal here. Um, I believe what did they get like six first or I mean six second round picks or something for um. For four. For for Bradley for Beal. For oh Bradley yeah, for Beal. Beal. A lot of people are saying they didn't get really much at all. He's been injury prone lately, though, the last couple of years and this year. But yeah, they got to get more for him. And then they turn around and give the world to Jordan Poole, who's just like, I don't know. Yeah, they seem like they don't really have a good direction going in Washington. They want to rebuild, but then you were rebuilding around the ice case, Jordan Poole. So, and Kuzma, I don't know. You, I don't know if you like Kuzma. He's kind of soft too. He doesn't seem like a real champion well, player. I mean, honestly, you know, I'd say if anything, Kuzma is maybe the only good part of their team. Yeah, because he's probably like the one actual scorer that they have, a consistent scorer. But otherwise, they're basically. I, I mean, that, you're you're basically looking at a complete rebuild there for for years. Absolutely. Essentially, you know, this they're not. I wouldn't expect them to really to really get back to any sort of contendership for quite a while. I mean, they should have. In all honesty, they should have traded Bradley Beal when his height when his when his uh, trade value was at its height. And Absolutely. the problem is they waited way too long. And he got more and more injured, and the market kept going down, and they just waited. Like you said, you nailed it. I mean, how do you get that small of a ransom for a really great player and deal? And then just, I don't know. And again, I guess Kuzma's the best of the worst because the Kuzma and Poole just kind of like jack up shots. They don't really play defense. They just don't, you know what I mean? They're like role players. They're not even, Poole just seems like a, not a, not a winning right. player. And then, Kind of was lucky in Golden State, and then what is welcome there. And Kuzma kind of apparently wants to go to LA, so he's probably just fucking. They're just kind of a rudderless ship in, in Washington. Yeah, you know, they're kind now, of not even rebuilding directly. 
yeah, they're not even rebuilding correctly. That's the problem. Is that, you know, even their rookie that they got this year, Bilal Koulibaly, you know, he's only averaging about eight points per game or something. It's, you know, for Koulibaly, it almost seems like he's going to be, for him being a shooting guard, you know, 8.4 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists. Uh, in about 25, 25, 26 minutes per game, you know, he's basically looking like a project at this point in his career as well. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I think it's just basically showing that Koulibaly, no matter how good he was over in France, it, it almost seems like he was basically a product of working with uh with Victor Wembanyama all that time. Yeah. He's like it. And I think Washington may be looking at him now and being like, "Oh shit, why did we take him when we could have when we could have had other options in the draft at our, at our uh with the with the 7th overall pick." Yeah. Pretty risky pick at that at that time from the draft. Right. Not paying off yet. So, yeah, doesn't look promising your early results. Yeah, you know, for for somebody in their rookie year, uh, you know, he's putting up he's putting up stats for especially for a shooting guard whose specialty is supposed to be their shot. He's only putting up eight points per game as a starter. Uh, yeah. Um, that's not the type of development you want in your first in a in a rookie's first season. I know he's really young though, so we'll see. But he's more of a project. But yeah, he's got to start getting better a little bit quicker than he's shown. Right. But anyways, uh, over in the Western Conference, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves on top at eleven and four, uh, followed shortly after by the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're at eleven and five. Uh, you also have the Dallas Mavericks at ten and five, followed by the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets, both at ten and six. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are at nine and six. Then in the play-in tournament, you have the Houston Rockets at eight and six, followed by the LA Lakers and New Orleans Pelicans at nine and seven. And you have the Golden State Warriors at eight and nine, rounding out that group. Uh, Golden State, I mean, that's that's kind of surprising, quite frankly, that they're mainly just hanging around five hundred, considering, uh, you know, it, it almost seems like uh, even though they're, they're ranked thirteenth in the league in points per game. Uh, it almost seems like maybe perhaps this era, uh, this is maybe a true sign that the uh, the Curry, Thompson, and Green era is starting to come to an end. Yeah, Thompson especially looks, does not look very good. They're, every year they're not getting any younger. They're getting a little bit older. So it could be the end of the line for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Thompson, 15 points per game. He's, quite frankly, he's basically regret. It, it almost seems like ever since 
ever since the 2016 season, he started to regress slowly uh, with each season following that. Yeah, and he had those gruesome injuries, stuff that they've taken a toll. Oh wait a minute! No, never mind. I'm looking. I'm looking at this actually from. Uh, I'm looking at this backwards. So, well, actually, you know what? This is the worst season that he has had since 2012. Actually, the 2012-2013 season. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's still very early, but. Uh, he's only averaging about 15 points per game, uh, about, I want to say, two, no, 3.3 rebounds per game and 2.3 assists per game. So, you know, it's still, these are, not, you know, th- these are not numbers that you normally expect to get out of Clay Thompson. But I guess the question is, uh, does that sort of come from the fact that you look at Steph Curry and Curry is the one that's basically taking over that offense and, and controlling that they've offense every had, year? They've always had a high-scoring offense, so Thompson's always gotten his buckets. I think it's just Thompson's kind of just slowing down. I think the injuries are really taking a toll. I was watching him a little last night, and he, he bricked like four open threes in a row. They kept feeding him, and they kept getting the rebound and popping back to him, and he kept breaking him. And then they were like, all right, enough play. Steve Curry's like a little bit like, okay, let's let's move the ball somewhere else a little bit. He's definitely taking a step. He's slowed down. Yeah, I mean, it's very unlike him. When when you know you know the both of them are, are, are usually known for being the Splash Brothers, but, uh, you know, well, usually play would – yeah, Clay would often compliment uh, Curry, but now it, I don't know what it is. It just seems like this year uh, he's kind of taken a step back, quite frankly. Yeah, he's definitely not, not just that. But so far, he's been playing yeah, he's four less minutes per game, too. Yeah, you know, Steph has maintained his high level play. Curry's definitely lost a step. Big, big yeah, and actually his three-point shot is down, too. His three-point shot is down by about 4%. Yeah. So, yeah, it's still – the Warriors are a huge question mark uh, still at this point. You know, it's very surprising to see them hovering around 500. Um. Then you have the L.A. Clippers at 6-8. and eight. Uh, Then that's where it drastically trails off, because then you have the Portland Trail Blazers and the Utah Jazz at 4-11. and 11. Uh, The Memphis Grizzlies at 3-12, and 12, and the San Antonio Spurs at 3-13. And, 13. and, you know, it's interesting when you look at San Antonio, because obviously they have Victor Wembanyama, who a lot of people are looking at as the potential rookie of the year. But I think the big question to look at that is, does their record maybe play a little bit of a role into whether or not he gets rookie of the year? I don't know if it's impacted the rookie of the year race traditionally through the years, but 
Um, he's got a lot of progress to make still. So, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if, if the record can impact that race. Because right now he's averaging about 19 points per game, 9.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists. Uh, I mean, he's a giant, you know, seven foot four. Um, I mean, he's definitely living like I wouldn't say he's he's not living up to the hype of being, you know, the next LeBron James yet. But he's, you know, he's definitely proving at least that he was deserving of the of being drafted first overall. So far, uh, the problem with San Antonio is there's just way too much work that needs to be done to that roster. Because, yeah, you know, Wembenyama isn't going to save it alone. No, it's his first year playing in America. They're so young. Yeah, that next year will be a lot better barometer on how to really judge them. They're just, this is year one of them really starting over. It's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely right a track, big though. work in progress. Yeah, I agree. They got a great coach though, and um, yeah, he's shown that he's going to be really good. He's just still getting acclimated to the game over here. But yeah, I mean, you can't teach size, but he's got plenty of skills and plenty of size. He could be an all-time player. Yeah. Uh, now. Of course, obviously we have the MB- we have, uh, we just went through the NBA stats uh, or the NBA standings. But if we look at the in-season tournament, on the other hand, uh, the in-season tournament is as follows: uh, so far, teams who have booked themselves into the next round, the Indiana Pacers, who went a perfect four and O in Group A. Uh, they have officially advanced with the Detroit Pistons being eliminated from that from that group. Uh, the L.A. Lakers have officially advanced in Group A of the West. Uh, so far, it's basically been the Pacers and the Lakers that have that have locked in their spots officially. Uh, teams that are still in the running. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Atlanta Hawks, but it all depends on what happens. Uh, if the Hawks win against the Cavaliers, then it's going to get very interesting. Uh, but if the Cavaliers win, I think Cleveland locks it up uh, for that spot, for that second spot in Group A. Uh, in Group B, the Bucks are 3-0. and so assuming they beat Miami, they'll probably lock in their spot. Uh, the Knicks, they need to beat Charlotte, and I believe they need a little bit of help. Uh, but if they beat if they beat Charlotte, I think they may potentially lock in their spot as long as the Heat don't win. Um, Group C, I believe Orlando has uh, just based off of differential. I believe Orlando has locked in their spot, even though it's not officially confirmed yet. Uh, the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets are at two and one. Boston needs to basically blow out the Chicago Bulls, and they need to hope that Brooklyn only beats Toronto by a little bit in order for them to to potentially advance. 
Uh, Toronto and the Bulls, meanwhile, have been eliminated. Uh, still alive in the West, we have the Phoenix Suns at three and one, which I believe I don't know what their uh, what their whole thing is uh, when it comes to their tiebreaker. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans lead Group B at a three and one record. Uh, they need Houston to lose to Dallas in order to officially clinch. Otherwise, it'll be based off of point differential. Uh, Denver surprisingly has been eliminated with a two and two record. Uh, Dallas and the Clippers have also been eliminated. Uh, for Group C, the Sacramento Kings are, I mean, they have a 3-0 and record right now. So if they beat Golden State, they're in. Uh, but otherwise, if they don't, it might get a little bit tricky and may depend on, on, uh, on point differential because Minnesota and Golden State are still alive in there as well. So... Uh, needless to say, Alex, you know, this in-season tournament, a lot of people may not have uh, been taking it seriously, but it really see, it, re- it really kind of feels like there's some sort of extra, like there's some sort of extra feeling, essentially, watching an in-season tournament take place. Yeah, they get to add some, a little bit more excitement to it. Uh, something different for the fans to enjoy. Uh, I'm still a little confused how it's working, but it's, it's been pretty cool. I like the court designs, too, for what it's worth. But, yeah, I mean, it's fun seeing teams like Orlando get out to a hot start. Um, that was surprising. They, they knocked out Boston. Boston will be in great shape. But, yeah, I think Orlando's for real this year, definitely. And, uh, yeah, it's added some, some extra juice to some of these games. I find, I find it interesting how they kind of staggered it, though, where it's just like every, what is it, every couple of weeks they're doing it for a weekend? Or I still don't know how the whole, is, does it last all season? Uh, for, group, for, for, for the group stage, it was Tuesdays and Fridays that they, that they were doing them. Okay. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't person, know what it's going to be like moving forward, though. When does, it, when does it conclude? When is it over? You don't know when it's done? Uh, I don't know. Um, let me see. Championship. It says the championship game is on December 9th. So I'm assuming that once they move on to the quarterfinals, it basically becomes a, uh, a knockout style, uh, tournament because the quarterfinals, Uh, it says here begins on December 4th. So. It's basically a five-day tournament once it hits the quarterfinals. Uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a good addition to the league. And I'm still going to be watching a lot more focused on the real, the, the, the major championship, but it's been good. Add some, some, right. and some explosiveness, some extra interest to the game. Yeah. Now, uh, we do have uh, our official, uh, moving over to baseball, we do have the official Hall of Fame ballot 
having been officially released this year, uh, this past week. Uh, Gary Sheffield is the only candidate entering his final year of eligibility. Um, I don't know exactly uh, what his what his percentage was last year. Oh, the chef. Yeah, because oh, okay. So it was fifty-five percent, and he has to make he has to make seventy-five percent. So basically, he has to have a jump of twenty percent in order to make it in this final year of candidacy uh, for uh, the for the MLB Hall of Fame. Otherwise, he'll like, go over to the Modern Day Committee. Oh yeah. I know it's different. I, I always he was one of my favorite players to watch. He would just destroy the ball. He was devastating hitter. But no, it's up to the committee. Yeah, and if it's his last shot, he's twenty percent higher. It's not looking great for him. But what a tiered hitter he was in his prime. Now we do have a whole bunch of uh, first-time candidates on this ballot. Uh, Jose Bautista, Adrian Beltre, Bartolo Colon, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday, Victor Martinez, Joe Maurer, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, James Shields, Chase Utley, and David Wright are the are the uh, basically the first timers this year joining Bobby Abreu. Carlos Beltran, Mark Burley, Todd Helton, Tori Hunter, Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, uh, Alex Rodriguez, K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, Jimmy Rollins, uh, Omar Vizquel, and Billy Wagner on the the, uh, current uh, ballot. So I mean, what, what do you what do you think, Alex? Is there anybody? Uh, I mean, let's start with the first timers. Uh, is there anybody that stands out to you that you think could potentially make a case uh, for maybe a first time, uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh, that's so tough. I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, Pettit's got the asterisk because of Royd, and so does A. Rod. So to me, sorry guys. Not not this time of this, unless they adjust that. Um, and then uh, other than that, closers not too often. So Wagner might have might be a very long shot to make it in. Uh, Corey Hunter, Spider Man. I'd love to see him get in. Andrew Jones is maybe the best defensive center fielder. You know what I mean? Both those guys, along you know, other than Billy right. Mays, they're right up there for best defensive outfielders ever. I don't know if Torrey has the offensive stats or Andrew Jones has the consistency long-term, but they're, they kind of stand out to me. I'd love to see Manny Ramirez get in. Did he yeah, ever get Manny, officially uh, pinched? He's got that kind of cloud Manny, in with the, some of that stuff. The thing with Manny is he's basically been – He's basically been in almost uh almost no man's land when it comes to 
when it, when it comes to his candidacy, like he didn't really gain the amount of votes that he really needed to be on track uh, towards an eventual, um, you know, you know, towards an eventual induction that he should have had last year. He didn't really gain the amount of votes. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, I think either Tory or Andrew. I don't know. No one really totally stands out to me. A Rod would have, but he got busted for Royd, so no, no, no super. Right. So I just I, no one really blows me away for first ballot, personally. What do you think? You think any of those guys get in? Uh, I mean, you look at Beltray, granted two eighty six, uh, but you look at three thousand one hundred and sixty six hits. 477 homers, uh, 1,707 RBIs, uh, four-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glover, a four-time Silver Slugger award. Uh, he's also a ho- uh, yeah. he also led the league in home runs in 2004. I mean, I don't know if I would say first ballot, but I think eventually he might get in. I agree. Uh, amongst amongst the first timers, uh, Joe Mauer. I think simply because of the fact that he's, uh, you know, he's a former MVP, time all-star. Uh, he ended his career with a 306 batting average, 2,123 hits, 143 homers, and 923 RBIs. And keep in mind, he was a catcher. So, you know, catchers aren't really known for their power, so to speak. Yep. You're talking Maurer? Yeah. Yeah, the problem is that he had three or four or five years. And remember when he finished the aging? For like half a dozen years, he just had like five, six, seven home runs a year. He really yeah. went south near the end of his career. So that might really tarnish his ability to get in. He really – he had a couple of just like very average years. Like four – I think remember I remember four or five where they almost – he was like Mr. Twin, and they, by the time they, they like wanted him to retire, they had to basically get him to retire. Like he, for four or five years, he just like went south totally stat-wise. Right. Kind of an ugly ending for him. That's what I but unfortunately t- started off so look- well, and he got really injured. Yeah. Started off incredible. You know, he's going to be like a transcendent catcher, and then he just got brutalized by all by his injuries by the end. He just, I get back issues. He just really he just stopped producing for like almost maybe a half decade. He didn't have good stats for four or five years. Really hurt his chance. Yeah, yeah, he but like a you flat know, hitter. You know, uh, if if we take a look though at some of the records that he has, um. Hang on a minute. If this thing, if this thing would uh, would stroll, um, he does hold a couple of single season records. Uh, he set the record for uh, highest single season batting average for a catcher with 365, which he set back in 2009. Uh, the highest single season on base percentage for a catcher at 444 which he also set that same exact year. Uh, his career on-base percentage is the highest among major league catchers with a minimum of 500 games played. 
Uh, he's also the first AL catcher to win a batting title, and he also holds the record for most batting titles by a catcher in a career with three, which uh, he won back in 2006, 2008, and 2009. Uh, not to mention a three-time Gold Glove Award winner. I mentioned he's a former MVP as well, uh, five-time Silver Slugger. So... You know, I mean, maybe maybe he might have a shot. I don't know if it'll be first ballot, but I think he might have a shot as well uh, amongst this uh, amongst this incoming class. Yeah, he could. Might just take a little bit of time, I think. Yeah. You know, I would have said Adrian Gonzalez if his career didn't finish so shitty. Like it yeah. did. I mean, it seemed like yeah, once even, he left San Diego and he went to Boston, it's like all of a sudden got, his career went completely downhill. And he went to cut. He remember he got cut by the Mets. That was just the lowest of the low. You know, you're done when that happens. Right. <laughs> he he just did went went to, uh, abominable. He he did win a gold glove though with the uh with the Dodgers though in the five years that he spent in LA. Um but yeah, you know, it's just looking at how his career started and how it ended, I think Gonzalez is probably out of it. Um I wouldn't see him making it making it at all. Uh I don't think Jose Bautista has much of a shot. I don't know. Let me see where. Oh, yeah. Hell no. Two forty-seven. No. Two forty-seven. Three. Yeah. No. 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 Forget about Jose Bautista. That's like, not happening. Like, Joey Bassett did like one ninety for the last couple of years. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's not. That's not <laughs> happening. Uh, how about Matt Holiday though? Two ninety-nine. Uh. Just shy, just shy of 2,100 hits, uh, 316 homers, 1,220 RBIs, 7-time All-Star. Uh, he won the World Series in 2011 with St. Louis, uh, former MVP of the NLCS. He's a former batting champion, uh, former RBI leader, and a four-time silver slugger. Uh I would almost be on – I think Matt Holiday may be one of those 50-50 type of people. Like, maybe he yeah, may keep himself yeah, on the ballot. Yep. He may keep himself on exactly. the ballot, but whether or not he'll actually make it after 10 uh, or before 10 times, I don't know. Uh, Victor Martinez, I don't really see much of a case for him, for him, quite frankly. Even though he is a former Boston Red Sox, I just, the numbers aren't there. And kind of the same for Brandon Phillips, even though he's a four-time gold glover. Uh, Brandon Phillips is kind of the same thing. I don't see, I don't see the numbers uh, being there for him to potentially but no, like, really you know, good like players Jimmy said before, line. 
He's a really awesome. He was a fun player to watch. Brandon Phillips is really good. But it's just Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. It's got to be best of the best. Right. It really, I mean, there's just a different level, you know what I mean? I think he's a, he's a crowd favorite in Cincinnati. He had a really good career, but, you know, awesome crowd career. But it's it's the Hall of Fame. He's just, I don't think he's, when you think of him, it's like at the end of the Bad yes or no? It's just like I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. All right, hang on. Uh, area code three one four. You're on the air. Hey, my name is James from Missouri. Um, I was just wondering if you guys could uh, quickly talk about the uh, survivor and what happened with Jeff. Uh, say what now? Uh, survivor. The TV series. Uh, the t- the TV show. Yeah. Yeah, our uh, our Survivor Recap podcast is actually on Thursday nights. Oh, no, it was just a very quick question. Uh, I just, it was breaking right now, so I was wondering if you guys had heard anything or know any insider stuff. Uh, no. Oh, okay, yeah, he was, uh, Jeff, I guess, was caught on site uh, fucking one of the monkeys? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, fucking asshole. Sorry about that to uh, to anybody um, who may have uh, who may have heard that, but yeah, no. Wow. You know, I hate it when we get I hate it when we get prank callers like that. Not cool. But anyways, where were we? Uh, Jose Reyes. I think Matt Holiday. You know, Matt Holiday overall. Holiday is really good, but yeah, Phillips. I mean, Holiday. I think had a better career. Yeah, he was buoyed. He was definitely lifted up a little bit, like everyone and the brother, because he played in, you know, Rocky Mountain High. He really was dominant as a as a Rocky. Um, I just don't know if he gets in though. You think Matt Holiday is a Hall of Famer? Uh, hang on, just one second. I need to uh, I need to uh, mark something here. Um, okay just so that I know that for reference because um, I have a feeling that same guy might call in for, uh, for the survivor podcast. Um, yeah. Three, one, four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, for holiday, I think it's possible he might be one of those borderline type of uh, type of potential, uh, you know, pot- potential uh, candidates. Like somebody mm-hmm. who will stay on the uh, who will stay on the ballot, but may not necessarily have enough votes at the end of it all. Yeah, I tell you what, man, um, holiday. It's, I know I've, I've talked about him before, but and you, you know a lot about my baseball too. I mean, apparently, his son is going to be like the next, next, next big thing, and uh, another Oriole, like better than Gunner. Uh, he's Jackson Holiday, 18 year old, and he hit like a 350 in the minors. He's going to be, I don't know, we'll see. I thought Matt Holiday was really good. I like a lot of people. He slowed down though at the end, and I think I think a lot of his best stats were um, as a Rocky. That kind of hurts his case. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing too. Is that uh, you know, like like you said, a lot of his best stats were as a Rocky, and you know. Down the line, it sort he sort of slowly deteriorated a little bit. Yeah, he did have some good years. 
I want to say maybe four or five years as a, as a Cardinal. It's interesting. It's just like Nolan Arenado from Colorado to St. Louis. Arenado's kind of sustained it even better. He still has really good stats, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think Holiday can get in. I, I don't. I don't know. He's like just. He's close, but he's not. I don't think he does it. Now this next one, Jose Reyes, is kind of interesting because he doesn't have the home run power. Uh, no. You know, average. He, he batted two eighty three, but he stole five hundred and seventeen bases. You know, yeah, he was known I, he for was having that elite met. speed. Yeah, I don't think he did it for long enough. And I think right, what David Wright, his best friend at the time and partner in crime, the left side of that is Matt Infield, was was awesome. But he had the Mattingly luck where he just got decimated by injury. Jose played longer, but, uh, yeah, like you said, the home runs. I mean, again, he's almost like a better version of Brandon Phillips, Brandon Phillips but still not quite good enough. You know what I mean? Very, very good. Not Hall of Famer, to me at least. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I would think I had thought that maybe perhaps because of his speed, but yeah, you know, not yeah. really. Uh, probably doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the staying power, um, so to speak. And I, I think um, a big shock with another really good Matt. He got crushed by injuries, but he he definitely had a lot of injuries too. I mean, but starting off in his career, man, people thought Wright and Reyes would be two of the best Mets ever and would have thought, you know, Hall of Famers, but yeah. And then Reyes had a domestic incident. Where did he, and he wind up going to the Marlins? Played second base a little bit. He kind of just a murky kind of weak ending to his career. Kind of tarnished yeah. again. Kind of uh, James Shields. James Shields, I'm not even going to entertain that idea because I know for a fact that James Shields, uh, uh, like literally, they're they're really going to uh, they're really going to entertain everybody potentially for the Hall of Fame here. 145 and 139 record, a four ERA. Are you really are you really putting him on the Hall of Fame ballot? This guy isn't going to get any votes. He was like Mr. Ray early on. He was awesome. And then just Lance Lynn. I mean, he just went up the deep end. I think he, a couple of his last years, he had like an eight ERA, nine ERA. Fishing batting practice. Yeah, I don't know how he's on the ballot. <laughs> yeah. Not in this lifetime, not in this lifetime Mr. Shields. <laughs> uh, let's see. Then you have Chase Utley, and Chase Utley, I mean, the average is average, you know, 275. He wasn't really uh, – he he was more of a contact hitter as opposed to a power hitter. And, I mean, he just doesn't have – he just doesn't have the stats, even though he's a longtime Philly. Uh, you know, maybe he'll be in the Philadelphia Phillies Hall of Fame, but uh, – yeah. I mean, I just – I don't see Chase Utley uh, – I'd be surprised, honestly, if he even stays on the ballot. So, once again, uh, uh, back back injury, like, if he had sustained his early domination, uh, I mean, re- re- really, he was considered probably the best hitting second baseman, I think, for a, 
for a little bit, for maybe four or five years, but then he started getting injured. Um, I don't know what his overall stats were, but and then he became a Dodger. But I mean, I know early on he was awesome as a Philly. But yeah, I don't think overall, like, once again, the toughest thing when he, the injuries hit, I think it really kind of slowed him down. Right. Uh, now David Wright is the last potential newbie, and I mean the batting average is kind of there, two ninety six, but. Once again, another guy who is more known for his contact as opposed to home runs. Uh, you know, seven-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, two-time Silver Slugger, but he's basically just an average, uh, an average major leaguer. You know, there's, I can't really say that the uh, that the resume is really there for David Wright. No, nah, too many injuries. Exactly. Now. I think the big question is with obviously, you know, all of the, uh, with all of the players having been taken off the ballot, like Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling and whatnot, uh, does Gary Sheffield make it in his final year of eligibility? He needs 20% more to make it this year. Yeah, I was talking to him before. I just—he was one of my favorite, one of the most dominating danger hitters for a while. Um, I just—I don't know if his longevity, if he sustained it for long enough. He played a lot of years, but yeah, I—I I, I think he should get in. I would vote. I would vote yes. Yeah, you know, I was kind of—I'm uh, honestly, I'm kind of surprised that. Uh, he has been on the ballot this long. I mean, uh, 10 years, I mean, the hits are that, you know, 2,689 hits, 509 homers, 1,676 RBIs. Uh, you know, he's a former batting champion, a nine-time All-Star back when the All-Star, uh, when All-Stars actually meant something. Um, a five-time silver slugger. Uh, he won the World Series back with the Marlins. You know, I mean, he's basically, and I don't believe he got popped, did he? He didn't get popped for steroids, I don't think. No, I don't think he ever did, no. So, you know, I mean, the st- I can see why he has stuck around on the uh, – on the ballot when you consider, oh, okay, no, there were steroid allegations. Uh, as he was named in the Mitchell report as one of the players who had obtained and used steroids, uh, he was supposed to be interviewed, but before the report was published, uh, no interview could be scheduled. Um, and it wasn't, it hasn't been officially confirmed, but uh they claim that basically uh, in order to help heal ripped stitches from a knee surgery a cream was applied to his knee during a workout with Barry Bonds back in 2001 and Sheffield claims in his book uh Inside Power that he had no knowledge of the cream containing steroids whatsoever 
had had no reason to assume so at the time. Hmm. And also, he, yeah, says, he goes on to say that the Doesn't Creed... Sound good yeah, and it, it also says as well that the Cream did nothing to strengthen his knee uh, and also stated that a look at, at, at his numbers showed no improvement after the incident as well. So Yeah, I don't think it helps this case, but the, the, the controversy, but yeah, I'm not sure. I would, I would vote him in, but that's, that's kind of a blemish on his record. So maybe, maybe perhaps then it'll be, uh, you know, may, maybe it'll it'll end up being a um, he he may have to get in through the uh, through the committee then. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I think numbers wise he should get in, but it's gonna take a little bit more work because of that controversy. So, I mean, just honestly looking at just looking at this lineup, I don't really see anybody that could get in this year. Yeah, there's no surefire guy out of that list. I think Beltre is the closest, Adrian Beltre, but he's not a no-brainer. Beltre, I, I, don't, I don't see anyone really. I don't see anyone getting in on the first rep. Beltre, maybe this Mauer. Year. Maybe Maurer, uh, Sheffield, like I said, Sheffield, I, I just don't see him. I don't see him potentially having the, uh, the length, uh, the, you know, 20, having to, having to gain 20% extra, it seems like a, like a huge hill to climb for, for, uh, his final attempt. Yeah. That'd be too much of an uphill climb for him. Yeah. Uh, we did have, uh, staying in Major League Baseball here, we did have some free agent uh, news. Uh, the Braves, they ended up signing Reynaldo Lopez to a three-year, $30 million extension with a club option for 2024 uh, after they previously acquired him off of, off of waivers from the uh from the Los Angeles Angels or no 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 he was uh he was claimed off of waivers by the Guardians from the Angels uh but it says here he's set to make 4 million next season with 11 million in 2025 and 2026 and he'll get either 8 million in 2027 or he will get a 4 million dollar buyout depending on what happens uh what happens there um i believe didn't they say something else about the Braves uh no you know what i'm not thinking about the Braves i'm thinking about the Cardinals actually uh the Cardinals had a couple of moves that they made this week too they they uh brought back Lance Lynn on a one-year, $10 million deal with a $12 million club option for 2025. In my opinion, I think that's way too much for a guy he's for awful. a guy like him. Uh, he's awful. He's kind of bad. 
<laughs> He's a dumpster fire. I would say I'm an awesome pitch on my staff if I were in the team. God bless those cards. That's, that's a, a weird, pretty weak-looking signing. Uh, how desperate are you for, for arms? Uh, he's, I don't know. This guy is so inconsistent. He's impossible to predict how good he's going to be. Uh, couldn't rely on that guy at all. Just ba- just based off of what we saw last year, you know, I was still I was still wondering why the hell they even signed him to be, or, or why the Dodgers even picked him up to begin with. Yeah, his better days are far behind him. He's not getting any better. He's getting worse. Yeah, I mean that that's not even. I wouldn't even want him on the Sox. I'll put it that way. I wouldn't even with their pitching troubles. I would rather I would rather take a shot with Cutter Crawford or uh, or yeah. Josh Winkowski or any of our other pitchers than to put Lance Lynn out there and get fucking shelled every single outing. Um, yeah, exactly. They did also uh, bring in Kyle Gibson on a one-year, $12 million deal with a club option for 2025. Uh, The 36-year-old veteran right-hander posted the serviceable 4.73 ERA across 192 innings, 33 starts last year for the Orioles. Uh, He's basically, at best, a fourth or fifth starter on that Cardinals roster. Um... Let's see. What else did I see on the Cardinals? Oh, they also hired former Major League infielder Daniel Descalso to be their bench coach, uh, a 10-year Major League veteran who last played in 2019 with the Chicago Cubs. Over his career, he posted a career 235 batting average while averaging seven homers uh, and 44 RBIs uh, and 49 runs scored per 162 games. Uh, he played his first five major league seasons with the Cardinals and now will be reunited with the team that drafted him in the third round of the 2007 uh, MLB draft. Uh, as well, uh, Joe McEwing will move to a special assistant role under president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, to make room for Discalso. Uh, as well as not just, not just, uh, since we're talking about managerial hire hires, uh, the Red Sox, they hired former Red Sox pitcher, Andrew Bailey to be their new pitching coach as, uh, he takes over for Dave Bush, who had held the position the past three years. Uh, and Bush obviously was fired, uh, last month at the conclusion of the 2023 season. Uh, One of the first significant hires for new president of baseball operations, Craig Breslow, uh, who played a pivotal role in the Cubs pitching plans the last few years. Uh, And also it's worth noting that Andrew Bailey has served as the Giants pitching coach for the last three seasons. So not only is he a former major leaguer, but he actually uh, he actually has experience as a pitching coach. That's a good move. So, in my opinion, you know, coming from a Red Sox fan, 
this is definitely this is definitely a huge hire uh, coming from coming from new president of baseball operations uh, Craig Breslow, and you know the the guy is miles better than than Dave Bush was. Yeah, it's a good move. I like what they're doing so far with Breslow and company. It's, it's looking sharp so far. They got a got a got a ways to go, but they've made some promising, uh, you know, early some good progress. I think with some of these moves, they're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, let's see some other bits of uh, managerial news. The Padres have hired Mike Schilt as their new manager. Oh, my God. Uh, what's oh, going on? my God. Wait a minute. Is he? CM Punk is on WWE television. Nice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but this is this is the exact same thing they did with Bray Wyatt, where they waited for Bray Wyatt to make a return after the pay-per-view was about to end, and now Punk is officially out and back in the WWE. It seems. Holy shit! Wow. Yep, they did it. They brought him back. Holy shit. And he has his old graphics, too. Return of the punk. He has his old, his old graphics from uh, when he was last with the WWE. I'm just I'm trying to make sure. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure I'm not seeing things here. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, for wrestling fans. Uh, this is hopefully this isn't a one-off, and hopefully he's here for good. Because if he is, uh, you know, I, I know, I know, I, I said it was the wrong decision, but listening to it to the reaction he's getting right now, this is the same. If if this is going to be the same in every single arena, the WWE. Uh, has made money. We'll put it that way. Yeah, of course. Brought back a crowd favorite. Yes, it's raining spoon for them. Great move. Because holy shit, did that roof explode? Wow. That may have been the best kept secret. That may have been the best kept secret I think that WWE has ever done. Good move on a Saturday night. The big, big booster ratings. To end the show, no less. Yeah. Good stuff. And the thing is, too, he looked ecstatic to be back, too. It's a, it, you know how like I said earlier that he 
you know, uh, that he was tired of working with amateurs. Yeah. Hey, Zach, you got to be thrilled. That is wow. Wow. I'm... I'm going to need to rewatch that once we get off of here tonight. I'm going to need to rewatch that to make sure I didn't just see things. I'll have to check out the replay. And, you know, uh, it's a possibility, too, that they could bring back his wife as well because his wife used to work for the company, too. His wife, uh, A.J. Lee. Uh, is a former women's champion in the WWE. So it's entirely possible that she could be brought back too. Nice. Yeah, might as well. Now that he's back, it would be fitting. But uh, needless to say, he... This might... This this reaction might have been... Might have been bigger... Than uh, than the reaction that The Rock got when he returned originally. Oh, definitely, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Sounds really cool. Because you know what? I'll actually, I'll actually, uh, I'll send you the the the, uh, the Twitter link right now. Actually, um, nice. but uh, I, I'm sorry. I know we were talking about Major League Baseball, but I just I, I felt I had to. I thought I had to butt in with that because, uh, you know, everybody was wondering, will he show up? Will he not show up? Um, yeah, um, he showed up. He showed up, and I think now he has an axe to grind with AEW, too. So don't be surprised if all of a sudden – if all of a sudden he starts putting out his best work. Yeah, it's coming back with a vengeance. That's the best we get to come. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, what was I talking about? I was talking about, um, yeah, the Padres. Uh, the Padres, they hired Mike Schilt as their, as their manager. Uh, a two-year deal. He managed the Cardinals, of course, for four seasons from 2018 to 2021, uh, winning 55, almost 56 percent of his uh, of his games as manager before uh, spending the last two years as a senior advisor for the San Diego Pod. <clears throat> excuse me, the San Diego Padres. Uh, he takes over for San Diego following last month's sudden departure of Bob Melvin to the division rival Giants. Uh, he inherits a squad that seems to be in the midst of a transitional phase, uh, especially from roster composition and overall payroll standpoint, uh, following a brutally disappointing year this past year. Um, and by the way, uh, look for Juan Soto to be dealt. Uh, just put it that way. Um, I find it highly likely that Juan Soto gets dealt. I know people were saying maybe perhaps, uh, you know, what's-his-name would get dealt. Um, uh, Fernando Fernando Tatis, maybe Fernando Tatis Jr. would get dealt. 
Yeah, they're bleeding um, money. They need money. They need to shed payroll. They're getting rid of Soto for, for sure. Yeah. I would say, if anything, Soto is definitely uh, the likeliest to be uh, to be dealt out of all the uh, out of all the players that they have available. Um, let's see. Whew. Wow. Uh, I just I just gotta say I'm I'm completely caught off guard from that uh, from watching that. Um, uh, the New York Yankees they have found their next bench coach, uh, Brad Osmus. The former Astros manager um, has officially, or no, wait a minute, no, not Astros, the Tigers manager, and he was also uh, an Angels manager back in 2019. Um, wait a minute, did he play for the? Didn't he play for the Astros, Osmus? Yeah, he was a catcher for them. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, but he joins Aaron Boone's staff after spending the last two years in the Oakland Athletics organization split between a bench coach and a front office role. Um, needless to say, it came out of left field because I don't think his name was even uh, – I don't think his name wa- wa- was even uh, in consideration. Or at least – at least it wasn't brought up at all. Uh, let's see. The uh, Los Angeles Angels, they hired Barry Enright to be their pitching coach uh, after he worked for the Diamondbacks the last, th- the last three years as their pitching coach, uh, most recently spending the last two years as Brent Strom's assistant pitching coach on the big league staff. Uh the former big leaguer logged parts of two different seasons with the Angels from 2012 and 2013. Uh, he is the newest addition to manager Ron Washington's coaching staff out of out in Los Angeles heading into this upcoming season. Uh, well, you know, uh, with that being said, though, I think we're going to probably close it out for tonight. Um, so, yeah, I do, that. Oh, I know, I know. I'm sure there's going to be there's going to be a huge uh, there's going to be a huge a huge bit to discuss about that next week. Uh, but like I said, you know, originally we weren't supposed to have a show tonight. We ended up having a show. Uh, so. We will be we will be back though. I know Lou is gonna is gonna join us next week as well. Uh, obviously, he was off to um, due to uh, family. Uh, I guess he had family over or something. Uh, but uh, we will be back next next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, thank you, Alex, for joining me tonight. Um, yeah, good show. A reminder, a reminder, uh, Survivor fans. Thursday night. Now, obviously, we had the Survivor podcast last night, but uh, we will be back Thursday night for uh, the Survivor 45 recap show. Um, But yeah, everybody have a great rest of your Thanksgiving weekend, and we will see you guys uh, next or this upcoming Thursday night for another edition of the Survivor 45 recap show. And Uh, next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.